Shalom. This is Mark Robinson, Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries. Welcome to Jewish Awareness Podcast, a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. On Friday nights at our headquarters, we host a Bible study. Generally, we do verse-by-verse studies of different books of the Bible. These studies can be viewed live through the JAM Facebook live stream platform on Fridays. If you have questions or would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org. Email us at office at jewishawareness.org or call us at 919 919- Two seven five four four seven seven. Enjoy the Bible study. Chapter eleven. Good evening. Uh, okay, let's pray for. I'm guilty. I, I, I confess. You need to be here two minutes earlier. I know. Okay, let's pray for George, Gerald, and Frank. Okay, Father, we just bring again, once again, George, Gerald, and Frank to you, Lord their need for the Savior, and uh, they are just uh, uh, sinners, uh, hardened sinners in many ways, it seems, but you can break through that, uh, that uh, the hardness, the shell. Uh, may they understand their need. May they see it. Uh, atheism is such a foolish position, uh, or agnosticism, but we just ask that you would work in their lives, that uh, they would come to a saving knowledge of, of the Savior. So we commit them to you, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, we're still with Moses, and uh, verses 27 through 29 as we look at, uh, once again, Moses. Uh, We're confronted with the faith of Moses. Um, The faith here that we're going to look at that's mentioned in these three verses is exhibited in the the events that took place uh, in Egypt, uh, his confrontation with Pharaoh, his trust in the commands of the Passover, the blood of the Lamb, and ultimately with his leaving Egypt through the miraculous events of the Red Sea. So it's kind of in, 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 in three verses, just kind of condenses uh, this whole narrative of the Exodus from Egypt that we find in uh, the book of Exodus and starting uh, prior to Exodus chapter 12, which is the Passover uh, chapter. Now, as we look at this, um, one of the major components of faith, uh, and that is where we started numbers of weeks ago in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, uh, where faith is the uh, substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We see that uh, oftentimes uh, here. Uh, we see this in verse um, 7 of Hebrews chapter 11, seeing whom, him who is invisible. We see it in 11.8. We see it in 11.10. Uh, we see it here in verse 27, the first verse. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And uh, this is one of those... Um, Paradoxes, I guess you can see, say. Uh, how do you see something that is invisible? Well, obviously, it's with the eye of faith. Um, and, and that's what it's talking about. And that's what faith is all about. Uh, 
There's evidence for what we believe. There's substance, which is the Word of God, and we'll mention that uh, tonight as we go on, and it's evidenced in our life. So what do we have here with Moses? Uh, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Well, number one, he forsook Egypt. Did not fear the wrath of the king. Now, the first thought I had here was faith rejects the world. Uh, Moses was more than willing to give up all that the Egyptian courts had to offer, all the riches, all the power, all the glory uh, for God's purpose and God, which is a challenge for us. It's, it's one of the clear teachings of the Word of God. Uh, I think we've looked at this in the past. Uh, I always think of Romans 12, 1 and 2. Uh, where it tells us, I, I beseech you, brethren, uh, um, as this. It's solid. Yeah. I'll put, I'll just put it on the table then. Um, I'll leave it right there. And hopefully I don't move too far and it goes flying off or something. Okay. Um, so we forsook Egypt, but we are to forsake the world too. Uh, We live in the world, but we shouldn't be among or of the world. Uh, um, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And be not uh, not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing uh, of your mind. Do not be conformed to this world. Uh, Don't let the world system mold you and shake you shape you. Uh, It's a choice. Uh, Every one of us is called to make that choice as a believer. Moses was called, as it were, to make that choice, and he willingly forsook the world. Now, when you you forsake something, oftentimes there's a, oh, there's a cost, there's a challenge, uh, there's a price that that you might pay. and, and, the, uh, and, the, and the cost that he was looking at was the loss of life. Uh, the king, the pharaoh, was angry, obviously, with him. He didn't care. Moses didn't care. He did not care about the wrath of the king. He didn't fear the wrath. Now, I want to consider the, the, the issue of fear uh, sh- briefly, anyway, fairly briefly. Uh, fear can be a debilitating emotion. Now, I, I, sorry for the uh, font that I used there. I shouldn't have put it in outline form. It's kind of hard to read, but I didn't want to reprint that whole page after I looked at it. So anyway, uh, fear can be a very debilitating emotion. Uh, it, it, can, it can freeze you. It can just drive you to do things that normally you would never, ever do. Uh, someone said this, fear is to Satan what faith is to God. Faith does God's work. Fear does Satan's work. And I think it nails it. I think that's right on. Fear is not from God. In any, in, in any realm, any place, any time, uh, whatever the occasion might be, uh, fear should be absent from the life of a believer. Now, Wrong choices can lead to fear. Abraham's wrong choice 
uh, or Pharaoh led him to make wrong choices. Look at Genesis 12, uh, initially 10 through 13. There was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt that he said unto Sarai, his wife, Behold, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Hey, you're, you're a pretty good-looking woman there, lady. And people look at you, and, 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 uh, and, and they see the beauty that you have. Therefore, he thought, it shall come to pass when the Egyptians shall see thee that they shall say, this is his wife, and they will kill me. But they will save thee, Sarai, alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. Well, he had this fear of the response of the Egyptians to him, uh, caused him to ask, uh, maybe it was a half-truth, but still half-truth is all a lie, uh, and got him in all kinds of problems. He didn't learn the lesson later on in chapter 20 uh, when, he when he journeyed from thence toward the south country and dwelled between Kedesh and Shur and sojourned in Gerar. Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, said, sent, and he took Sarah. And Abimelech, then it goes in verses 10 to 11, said unto Abraham, What sawest thou that thou hast done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought, Surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. Well, problems arose for the king, for Abimelech. Uh, and so ultimately it was uncovered that it was not his sister, it was his wife, Sarah was his wife. And he's confronted, why did he do it again? He was afraid of what would happen to him if, hey, this is my wife. Well, we want her. She's pretty. We're going to take her. He didn't learn his lesson the first time. He made wrong choices because of fear that he had. Uh, and you, you, we can find all the way through the Word of God uh, wrong choices being made because of fear. For example, uh, 10 of the spies gave a negative report because of fear. Remember the story of, you know, hey, we can't take the land. They're too big. There's giants there. Um, and they give a negative report, the wrong report. Thank God for Joshua and Caleb. Uh, you know, God's on our side, that type of thing. Um, Gideon's army. They were afraid, and so God got rid of 22,000 of them for their, for their fear. He got, ultimately got rid of a lot more than that, but 22,000 because they were afraid. Uh, and, and fear is not the work of God. Fear is the work of Satan. Uh, then you have uh, also um, in Peter denying the Lord three times because of fear. You know, he was convicted of it afterwards and such, but he was afraid. And, and then Moses. Moses feared the people in Pharaoh and, and how they would respond. Look at Exodus 2, 13 through 15. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together. And he said to him that did the wrong, wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? This is when Moses had killed the Egyptian. And he said, who made thee a prince and judge over us? Intended, intendest thou to kill me as thou killed the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. Now when Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to slay Moses, 
But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Well, initially in the exploits of Moses and around the, uh, the Exodus, the story in Egypt, that type of thing, he feared. And he made wrong decisions. He made bad decisions. Um, in any instance, uh, I don't care where it is, um, it, 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 when we go to war, the best soldiers in a war should be, a, should be Christians, in my opinion. If you are firmly convinced that God wants you to defend your country and serve him, um, you should have no fear when you go fight. One of the primary reasons is why. Not that you're going to be, yeah, not that you're going to live through it, physically speaking. But if you die, you know where you're going. And, and so you should, you should fight with abandon. Uh, you know, and if, if you believe that God has called you to that, uh, and that really you should be, and you may not be as uh, athletically uh, proud as perhaps the next person. Uh, maybe not as strong as another soldier and that type of thing. And so the limitations of, uh, of the physicalities that an individual has prevents them from doing things. But as far as courage uh, and, and willingness to, to, to fight and die, you should be right up in the front. Uh, and, and that follows everywhere. Um, because fear is not from God. Fear is from Satan. And, and whatever realm that is, with children. What happens if, if you have a child and the child is two years old, whatever age the child might be, and the child gets sick? Do you fear that that child is going to die? A lot of people do. I mean, you don't want that child to die, obviously, if, you know, but you shouldn't fear that that child will die. Not if you know the Lord. The, the Lord is in charge of your life. The Lord is in charge of that child's life. And so you should be able to accept whatever happens. Doesn't mean if he does die that you're not going to cry, that you're not going to be sad over what has taken place. But sadness and sorrow is different than fear. Jesus wept over Jerusalem, right? Because he, was, he sorrowed that they rejected him. But he had no fear. And, and whatever the situation might be, um, you lose your job. Do you start fearing? Where is your next check going to come for the, for, the, for the mortgage, for the food on the table, or whatever the case might be? Uh, you shouldn't, not if you're a child of God. Uh, so, so fear has no place in the child of God's life. Now, there is a remedy for fear, and that's we're going to get to that shortly. But, but it, it, there's not a realm in our existence that should, where fear should control us. Not one. Not for a child of God. Now, that's contrary probably to uh, the world and what they think. Um, there shouldn't be fear in our life. It, it, it causes us, as it did Abraham, as it did the ten spies, as it did Peter, as it does to whomever is gripped by fear to make wrong choices. And so we need to learn how to conquer fear. 
By faith, Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. And so you can drop the, the, the second phrase, perhaps. By faith, Moses did not fear the wrath of the king. So ultimately, faith is the remedy for fear. Faith overcomes fear. Later on, we find this in the life of Moses. Look at, look at Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Now, a couple of few chapters earlier, it wasn't that many years earlier, when Moses heard that the Pharaoh was angry with him, what did he do? He fled. He was afraid of him. Here... He confronts the Pharaoh who says, in the name of God, and, and, and Pharaoh says, hey, I don't know your Lord. I don't know your God. So what, what is this? Uh, uh, and I won't let your people go. I won't let Israel go. But at this point, he was fearless. So you raising your hand for a question or you, so? Not a lot of years, though. Not a lot of years. I mean, what did he live to? I don't know what, the 140, 150. You know, it's not like us. You know, 40 years in our life is, generally speaking, over half of our life. Um, for Moses, it wasn't that long. Um, and, and he learned in the wilderness. He, he learned when he was away uh, how to walk with God. But he became a man of faith by this point. So, now, um, in Exodus 6, Moses confronts the people, 2 through 4, 6 through 9. God spoke unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty, but by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. And I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. Now, we're going to read further on and find that the children of Israel had a lot of fear. They had fear when they were at the uh, Red Sea and the Egyptian army were at their heels. Why did you bring us to this point to be destroyed? You know, they had fear of what was going to happen. But I, I want you to notice a couple of things in this passage in e e e Exodus chapter 6. I've got it in bold. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, the patriarchs, God says. And I establish, God establish my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan. And what he's doing with Moses, which he established earlier on in the life of Moses as well, uh, when he met him at the burning bush and different things, I am the covenant-keeping God. 
So ultimately, what was Moses doing when he went into Pharaoh? He was acting based on what? The word of God. The promises of God. The teaching of God. The covenantal promises of God. And you can even go back to, to the earlier writings in Genesis where it said that, that they would be in, in, in um, Egypt for 400 years. Moses wrote that. Now, well, you know, it doesn't matter whether it was at this time or later. But Moses understood that God had spoken to the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and gave them a covenant. And, and, and that's the Abrahamic covenant that is continued through Isaac, continued through Jacob, and intrinsically tied into that covenant, the last phrase in uh, it would be, um, I'm not sure what verse it would be. Um, it'd be verse 8. To give them the land of Canaan, the land of Israel. Abraham believed that with all his heart. So when God told him to go and, and speak to Pharaoh, let my people go. He did that fearlessly, in faith, believing what God had promised and acting on it. And there's no hint of fear of, of what Moses does. Now, this is the chapter, chapter 6, where ultimately after we are told about the, uh, the Abrahamic covenant, as it were, the, the, the fathers, that type of thing, uh, where we have, Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage. And I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. And I know I've, I, I've, we've talked on this a host of times. Uh, it'll be brought up again when we have the Passover in a couple of months, which is April, um, I think, uh, 19th and 20th, a Friday and a Saturday night here. But in the four cups of wine, the four cups of juice that are partaken of at the, at the Passover, Two before the meal, two after the meal. They are titled after the I wills of verses 6 and 7 here. <clears throat> the first one, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Sanctification, bring out, set apart. I will rid you out of their bondage. Praise, that's the second cup because they have been delivered or ridden from the bondage of the Egyptian. The third cup after the meal, redemption. I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. And then on the back of the page, as it goes on, and I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, the cup of acceptance. Uh, I will take you, I will accept you as my people, you will accept me as your God. Now, this fourfold promise, sanctification, praise, redemption, and acceptance, are all predicated on the previous verses. God's promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the covenant that God made with them, the Abrahamic covenant, and to bring them into the land. 
And that's why you ultimately find, in, in, as you turn the page over, in verse, uh, I will take you to me for a people, I will be to you a God. Um, that phrase is repeated over and over, some like 15 or 16 times in the earlier scripture, always, without exception, used at, in end time events, the end of the tribulation period. Because God, who is a covenant keeping God will do what he has promised. And every year the Jewish people celebrate Passover, uh, even though they may not be aware of it. When they drink the four cups of juice, they are drinking it predicated on what was promised back in Exodus chapter 6. And, and, and in a sense, testifying that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is a covenant-keeping God and will bring to pass the Abrahamic covenant and bring us into the land one day. It goes on in verse 7 at the top of the, the second page. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, which brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into your land, concerning the which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Abrahamic covenant, and I will give it to you for a heritage. I am the Lord, and Moses spoke so unto the children of Israel, but they hearkened not unto Moses for anguish of spirit, for cruel bondage. He didn't care that they didn't want to hear him. He preached the word of God, and, and, and he was steadfast and fearless in what he did because he understood the promises of God. God, when God brought Israel into the promised land of Egypt, was that the fulfillment of the promises that he had given to them back in Genesis 12, Genesis 15, this passage and so on? No. There's still a return, a greater return. Um, and so Moses did what he did fearlessly at this point in his life based on the word of God. That is faith. And it's evidenced by what he did. Didn't matter how the people responded to him. He believed. Now, the people feared Pharaoh's armies later. Uh, but Moses' trust in the Lord produced no fear in him. Exodus 14 now, verses 9 through 14. But the Egyptians pursued after them. All the horses and chariots of Pharaoh. This is when they left Egypt. Remember the story of Egypt. And we're going to get into Egypt uh, and that story in a little bit. But the Egyptians pursued after them, the Israelites, all the horses, the chariots of Pharaoh, and his horsemen, his army, and overtook them encamping by the sea, besides uh, Pihahirov, before Baal-Savon. When Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. And they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us, to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Well, they had a lot of fear. Now, 
you can understand it, I guess, right? They're slaves. Now you have the mighty Egyptian army, chariots coming after them. What, is the, what do you think is the natural response of a, of, of a person? Fear. They were not grounded in the word of God. Look at what Moses did. Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptian whom you have seen today, the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you and shall hold your peace. Moses knew who was fighting for them. He knew God had to deliver them. Why? The promises of the Abrahamic covenant. The people feared at this point. Moses didn't. Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now, I understand. Putting this from paper to reality can be difficult. But it is nonetheless true that we should have this attitude in our life. The psalmist said, the Lord is my light, my salvation, whom shall I fear? Rhetorical question. Who shall he fear? Nobody. The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Or Romans 8, 31 says the same, same type of thing. What shall we say then to these things? Uh, if God be for us, who can be against us? See, the reality of, of, of it is that we, and, and you've heard this before, we are totally um, impregnable as long as God wants us around. Nothing can be done to destroy us until God's through with us. There's nothing to fear. But if God is through with us, where are we going when you die? Heaven. Heaven. I've told you this story before. Years ago, I was, um, and now this is. Years ago, I was, um, I had been at a conference from like nine to nine every day. It's very inclement weather, and so I was I was on um, the aisle seat, and there was somebody in the middle seat, and I, I was the plane was was taking off, and it was just think of one of the worst weather days that there can be for flying, um, and and but I was exhausted, and as the plane was taking off, I was almost asleep and. And the plane was just shaking. I, I thought it was going to fall apart. I really thought it was going to fall. I've flown a lot of times. I, you know, I, I just thought I could, you know, I could see the wing going off and you know, you know, that type of thing. I didn't care. Uh, you know, I was at peace. Uh, you know, I was about to fall asleep. Well, all of a sudden, 
The guy next to me, I heard him cry out. Oh, God. I mean, I mean, he yelled. You know, and he, I don't know what else he said, you know. And, and, and I opened my eyes, and he, he was grasping the seat in front of him, uh, and his knuckles were white. He was petrified. He was just totally petrified. And, and, and I, said, I said, I don't know if I introduced myself. I said, let me tell you something. I said, you know, I think we're going to be okay in this flight. I really do. And I said, because, you know, I don't think God is through with me yet. Um, and if he's not through with me yet, uh, this plane is not going to crash and we're going to be fine. Well, that opened up a two-hour conversation from Denver to L.A. and there went all the sleep. Um, he didn't get saved. And as he got off the plane, he handed me his business card. And he said, if we ever have an earthquake or anything in California, California you know, I'm going to you give me a call, would you? Or he asked me for my card or whatever. I said, you don't need to call me. You need to call him. Um, so, but the, but the whole point was, it didn't bother me that the plane was shaking. Um, if it went down, I was going up. Um, if it didn't go down, uh, you know, I, we'd land in L.A. and everything would be fine and, and that type of thing. Um, and, and I literally had no, no, no fear whatsoever. Um, that should be our life. Um, nobody, you know, we are indestructible until God is through with us. Now, it doesn't mean bad things can't happen to us. But even when bad things happen to us, define those bad things however you want, God is still controlling our life. We need to get that into our being. Understand that. Um, goes on and says, he endured, Moses endured, as seeing him who is invisible. See, there's the crux of the issue. Moses could do what he did. Moses could forsake Egypt. As we go on and read, he did what he did. He endured. When you, when you endure something, is it something you like? No. When, when, you have, when you do something that you enjoy, you're not enduring it. Endur when, you're, when you endure something, you're, you're putting up with it. it, it it's, it's, it's not your choice. Uh, you'd rather have it done another way. We're going to see in Hebrews chapter 12 uh, that Jesus um, endured the cross with the contradiction of sinners. So it's not that Jesus enjoyed the cross. He endured it. Uh, Moses endured what he was going through. He didn't enjoy it, but he was fearless as he went through it because he knew that God was in control because he was seeing him who is invisible. We don't see God. Now, Moses had an advantage. I understand that. Uh, because prior to this, Moses happened to speak to someone uh, out of a burning bush. That was the Lord. Uh, Moses, uh, well, later on, he would have that mountaintop experience, but that wasn't at this point. Um, so Moses saw God in, in a different way than what he would at other times, like the burning bush or uh, the Sinai uh, episode. With his mind's eye, he knew God was real. If, if you don't believe that, 
You know, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please him. Uh, and you must believe in him and that he is a rewarder of those that seek him, who diligently seek him. You've got to believe God. You've got to believe in God. He exists. He's in this room tonight. He's with you when you go home. He's with you in every single circumstance of life. Um, And you don't need to fear. Uh, You may wonder about how you're going to get out of the circumstance. Uh, You may have to put up with circumstances that you don't like. Uh, We all have that, right? You would rather be doing something else. But you uh, endure that. You don't fear it. There's a whole different thing. Uh, when we have, when we have been saved, uh, and these experiences uh, of Moses took place uh, after he forsook Egypt, whether it's the burning bush, whether it's certainly Sinai, uh, after he left uh, Egypt. But it's important to note that these uh, t- took place after that. But when we have been saved, here, here's the point. We have had a personal life transforming encounter with God. No less than what Moses had when he met God at the burning bush, when he met God on Mount Sinai, when we've been saved, when we've had that transformation in our life, we have had an experience with God second to none that you read about anywhere. As we walk daily, and, and that's the uniqueness. Um, I thought I put the, uh, um, thought I put down Second Corinthians um, five uh, seventeen. I guess not, or maybe it's later on. I put it down. Um, if, if if we being if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away; all things become new. And, and we have that life transforming experience. Then, as we daily walk with God, we will continue to see him working in our lives. We, too, endure, recognizing, seeing him, how God providentially intervenes in our lives. And and, and after you're saved, salvation is a transformation. It's a transforming event. It's not adding religion to your life. If all you've done is add religion to your life, you left Catholicism and you've gone to whatever, the Baptist way. That's not salvation. That's, that's, That's reformation. That's not transformation. Salvation is transformation. When God invades a life and changes you from the inside out. And from that point on, when you walk with him, you're going to see God working in your life. And I'm sure every single one of us can to attest to that uh, if we've been walking with him through the years. In some way, over and over again, how God has intervened for our sake regularly in our life. And, and when that happens, that should be an encouragement. And it'll, it'll regularly happen to you as you, as you, as you lean on him forsaking the world. Look what 1 John chapter um, 4, 16 through 18. We have known and believed the love that God had to us. God is love. 
He that dwells in love dwells in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Now, a lot to unpack there, but what I want to look at is verse 18. There is no fear, where? In love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Fear and faith, or fear and love, are polar opposites. There is no fear in love. Now, what love are we talking about? God's love. And our love for him. You know, our love for him. And, and God wants us to have all uncompassing love for him. It'll cast out fear. If he is first in our life, if we love him with our total being, um, there will be no room for fear in our life. Whatever might appear, whether you're a soldier on the battlefield, when you're, whether you're a mother at home with a child, whether you're uh, a husband trying to provide for a family, uh, you know, whether it's the sickness of a spouse, uh, there is no room nor need of fear in our life. We don't have to give in to that. We don't have to be like the world. Perfect love casts out fear. Look at 2 Timothy 1.7. For God had not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. See how, how God has given it to us. Love ties in with what we just read in 1 John chapter 4. Uh, if God does not give us the spirit of fear, where, does, where do we get the spirit of fear from then ultimately, in essence? Satan. So if you start fearing, again, it doesn't matter the situation. Chalk it up. Where is that coming from? Not God. Satan. God does not give us the spirit of fear, power, love, and, and, uh, and of a sound mind. I think the... Um, I, don't, I don't like the term mental health um, I, I, or mental disease. Maybe I should put it in there. You know, I, you, you, I can live with mental health, but I don't like mental disease. A disease is organic. Um, some of you know, some of you know. I was in the emergency room on Sunday uh, because of a stiff neck. Because um, I have I have an organic problem, I found out, that caused that, which was a very bad case of um, uh, arthritis of the neck and degenerative discs in the neck. Those two coupled together. Um, but that was an or that's an organic problem. Um, years ago, I, I, I tore a ligament in my knee, an ACL. That's an organic problem, and I had that illness. If, if, if I get a virus, I have, uh, I have an organic problem. So, so 
disease is, is but when you think of, of mental, can, can you grab a hold of mental? It's, it's inorganic. So there's not any, there's no mental disease. Um, and, and yet we've let the world define how we look at mental illness. Same thing, mental disease, mental illness. So you, pardon? Yeah, well, and who's the source? Who's the source? Yeah, ultimately the source is Satan. Yeah, but it, it, you've got the Freuds and you've got the Rogers and you've got the Maslows and you've got 200 different varieties. And they all differ, by the way, of, of, of psychoanalysts, that type of thing. And it's the lie of the devil. It's the lie of the world. Uh, psychology. Ology. Study of the psych or the soul. Why did we give the study of the soul over to unregenerate, anti-God, unbelievers? What, you know, you know, the high priests of the secular world. You know who the high priests of the secular world are? Psychiatrists. They don't have the answer. I speak from experience. I wasn't a psychiatrist. Charlotte was a, but that's a whole other story. But I was a patient of a psychiatrist. Um, and and I, I had the best in Fort Lauderdale. My, my, when, I, when I attempted suicide, my, my, you know, my parents made sure that I got the best firm of, of um, I guess it's a firm practice or whatever, psychologists in and this guy almost drove me batty. He thought I was batty. He was driving me batty. Um, I, I wanted to shake him and say, tell me how to get well. You know, anyway, you know, the study of the soul comes from the Word of God. Who knows the soul better than God? Nobody. Nobody. And why take an ungodly, anti-God worldview that God doesn't exist and try to study psychology, the soul, and come up with answers when you don't have a clue? And it shouldn't be. Mental illness is a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual problem. Oftentimes it's unforgiven sin. An unforgiven sin leads to fear. And we'll look at shortly John MacArthur's quote where he brings that out. And that can drive you batty, as it were. The answer is not psychology. The answer is forgiveness of sin, which only comes from God. I, I know when I sent, spent that six weeks in the uh, top floor of Broward General Hospital, in Fort Lauderdale. There are some interesting characters there. I'll tell you what. Um, I, I don't know. I don't remember. I think I met Moses, as I remember. This was years ago. Maybe Genghis Khan. He was a little bit scary. Um, and, and then the guy that's flown like a butterfly or whatever. I don't know. You know, you know these people needed healing, but spiritual healing. Spiritual healing. We, so, so I'm not a, you know, the, the answer, we could, I think we could just, now I understand sometimes there's a physical 
deficiencies I don't that, that causes problems with us. There's a chemical imbalance or whatever the case might be, and that's treated chemically. Uh, but generally speaking, it's not that. Well, so you don't think there's ever that imbalance? So. Okay, there you go. So, well, not depression. Yes, I would agree there. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, Charlotte used to be a psychotherapist. Um, Twenty years, and she's asked forgiveness for that. So, <laughs> so. yes, yes, no, but that, but but that's tr but that's true. That's true. Depression. When we, you know, when I. My, when I think of a chemical imbalance, when my, when my mom years ago had her thyroid removed, there's a chemical. You couldn't, she had to be on thyroid pills because there was a, to, to, to balance out what, what was not there. But when you get into the immaterial part of, the, of mankind, depression would be immaterial, that type of thing. Uh, it's not a chemical imbalance. But there is chemical imbalances in medicine, like lack, lack of thyroid that type of thing. <coughs> so uh, we need to take back, it'll never happen, <coughs> but the, the treatment of the soul, which comes through the Word of God. Walk by faith, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. The shield of faith, Ephesians 6, 16. Faith comes from the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. Faith is the antidote to fear. Faith is based on the word of God. John MacArthur put it this way, and I, and I, and I, I like the way he, he put it. Dr. John MacArthur, when asked how a believer should handle fear, remarked that there are two causes of fear, basically. One is a guilty conscience. <coughs> the other is a lack of trust. Two things cause fear. Sin in your life that you haven't dealt with. Then you feel you have a right to be to being punished, and so you're afraid it's going to come. Forget the click the Old Testament illustration. I should have got rid of that. Or secondly, you're afraid because you don't think God can handle your situation. You're afraid you're going to die. You're afraid you're going to get sick. You're afraid your kids are going to get hurt. You're afraid the roof's going to fall in. You're afraid the demons are going to get you, whatever it is. It comes from two things. Number one, you have a guilty conscience. And, and, and that's by far and away the problem in, in, in the mental institu institutions. Guilty conscience. Because of sin that has never been dealt with. That leads to fear. And then just wrecks havoc with their thinking. <coughs> Number two, a lack of faith. Now, you can deal with both of those. A guilty conscience, confess your sin, and get it all cleaned out. A lack of faith, <coughs> get your Bible open and read what God says about himself and learn to trust him. <coughs> Excuse me, and pray. Now, he is speaking here of believers. Because if you're not a believer, <coughs> it's not just confessing your sin. It's first accepting the Savior. 
you need a transformation of life. Those are the only two things that produce fear in our life. Sin, unforgiven, a guilty conscience. You know, it, think of it. When you're driving down the road and the speed limit is 35 and you're going 50, and all of a sudden you see a police car over on the side of the road, what's your immediate reaction? Slow down. And you're fearful. Why? Because you, you, you might get the ticket. Why are you going to get the ticket? Because you broke the law. If you were keeping the law, I mean going the 35, you're not going to be fearful at all. Well, that, that's the principle that's talking about. When you break God's law, when you sin, uh, and you don't get it right with him, you get a guilty conscience, and, you, and you're always looking over your shoulder, as it were. That's what happens in mental institutions to a greater degree. It's not as bad for Christians. It can get bad if we don't get right with God. But for unbelievers, they have no ability outside of getting saved of dealing with that guilty conscience. And it will just weigh on them and weigh on them and weigh on them and drive them batty, as it were. But there is a remedy. Secondly, trust God. <clears throat> trust God. If you lack faith, open your Bible. Read what God says about himself. Learn to trust him. That's the answer. Those are the only two causes of fear. And a Christian should not fall under the sway of either one of them. So if you fear down the road, whatever it is, whatever the cause might be, <clears throat> as MacArthur says here, you're afraid of dying, you're afraid you're going to get sick, you're afraid the kids are going to get sick, you're afraid the roof's going to fall in, you're afraid the airplane, air, the wings are going to fall off, whatever, when you're on it. Uh, you know, you need to look at inside, you know, what, why am I so afraid? It's lack of faith with God. Or it could be the flip side of that, if you want to call it the flip side, is there's sin in my life, and so I'm, I'm looking over my shoulder because I know I deserve to be punished, spanked by God. And by the way, when we get to chapter 12, we're going to get into the discipline and God disciplining his children. And, and when you get into that position, you're always looking over your shoulder if you don't confess your sin. You're just waiting for God's spanking to come. We shouldn't have fear. Moses forsook Egypt, didn't bother him about the wrath of the king, and he endured through all the difficulties he went through because he looked and saw him who is invisible. And he had victory in his life. An amazing exploits for God. Go to the next page. Verse 28. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Now, faith trusts in God's provision. And here he talks about the Passover. Look at verses 12 and 13 of Exodus chapter 12, where it says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, God says, 
I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. So Moses speaks to the children of Israel, and he gives them a command. Now, do you think Moses followed that command? Certainly. Moses kept the Passover as well. How did he keep the Passover? He went into one of the homes. They applied the blood to the doorpost, to the lintel and the doorpost of the house, because God had told them to, the Israelites. And if you do that, your firstborn will be spared, both man and beast. Moses did that. He knew that if he didn't, that God would destroy the firstborn, the death angel. He exercised faith. He believed what God said. He exercised faith. Through the exploits of what he did in representing God, obviously the Israelites did the same thing. I think one of the reasons that Pharaoh must have been upset was, and, and, and the Egyptian families, why? What happened to their firstborn? They all died. And, and after, after nine plagues of, of, of water turning to blood and, and frogs and, and all of this type of stuff, locusts, and, and you get to the worst one, your firstborn dies. I mean, this is the God that you have said is, who is the God of Israel? Well, he found out who the God of Israel was, and they were livid. The Egyptians were. But the Israelites, they were there. They were there through the plagues. They were there when the blood, uh, the water turned to blood and the locusts and, and the flies and, and all of that type of thing. They believed what God said through his spokesman. They believed God's word. And the Passover is a picture of God's provision for, the sal for our salvation through the blood of Jesus. You're well aware of that, but 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. In Egypt, what was the Passover? It's not in this verse here. It's verse 22 of Exodus 12. What was actually the Passover? The lamb, correct. It was not the death angel passing over. It was not any of that type of thing. The lamb was the Passover. The Passover is the lamb. And, and it said in verse 15, kill the Passover. That's literally what it says in Exodus 12. Kill the Passover. Well, the Passover is the lamb. 1 Corinthians 7, <clears throat> for even Christ our lamb. Our Passover is what it reads, but our lamb is sacrificed for us because the Passover is the lamb. He is the one who died for us. First Peter 1, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, the Messiah, as of a lamb without blemish, without spot. Passover lamb had to be perfect. 
Jesus was perfect, without blemish, without spot. Faith trusts in God's provision. It's God's provision for salvation, Romans 10. Jesus died for our sins and rose again, 9 through 13. That if thou shalt confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. For There's no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, God's provision for salvation is through Jesus. For Jew and Gentile, it matters not. All you have to do is believe what God says and respond to it. It needs to be based, your faith, on the word of God, and you need to evidence it in your life. How do you evidence that in your life? You confess with your mouth, Jesus, that he's Lord. You believe in your heart. It's not just with your mouth. You believe in your heart. What do you believe? God raised Jesus from the dead. You will be saved. See, the issue is the heart. For the heart man believes unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You believe with the heart, and then you're going to confess it to everybody. For the scripture tells us, whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. There's nothing to be ashamed of. He's the Lord God of the universe. For there's no difference between Jew and Greek. He's the same Lord uh, over all. Uh, so the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, your, your, your status in life. It doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile, man or woman, adult or child, rich or poor. Call upon the name of the Lord and he's going to answer your prayer. Whosoever calls upon Jesus, the name of the Lord, will be saved. So we have to act upon that believing what God says. God's provision for our sin is Jesus. So all those people in the mental hospitals will never find deliverance, will never find healing until they first respond to Romans 10, 9 through 13. And then they can find it. It'll be there. But it's also God's provision for life. My, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. There's not one thing, although this is talking about your clothing and your food, there's not one thing that God will not provide for you in your walk with him in your life. <clears throat> We're going to come to Hebrews 13 one of these weeks. That's unique that we're going to get there. Whoa. What you need, yes, is not, yeah, 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 yes, yes. Yes. But look at Hebrews 13, 5. Let your conversation, in other words, your style of life, that's literally what it means, be without covetousness. In other words, your need is not, hey, I want a million dollars, as Bob said. Your life is to be without covetous. You're not to be jealous of the guy next to you who has that million-dollar house or that expensive wardrobe or whatever the case might be. 
Let your life, let your style of life be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. We can be content no matter where we're at, poor, rich, whatever, because he is always with us. That's our focus. And then turn the page over. Verse 29, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, as saying to do, were drowned. Faith acts on God's promises. Now, notice the emphasis here, the, uh, the shift of emphasis. Up to this point, it was by faith, Moses. By faith, Moses. By faith, he. Notice what it says. Now it says, by faith, they. The entire nation, the people of Israel, passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, wanting to do, they drowned. The emphasis shifts from Moses to the people of Israel. And it is the Lord that protects and provides. Look at verses 13 through 15 initially. Moses said unto the people, now we, this is back at uh, Exodus 14. Fear ye not, stand still. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will show to you today. For the Egyptian whom you have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Now, sometimes we need a leader that needs to remind us, hey, you're a majority with God. Don't fear. God will give us victory or give you victory. And God does and will bring those type of people into our lives. Doesn't have to be a pastor. It just needs somebody to remind us. <clears throat> Don't fear. Wait and see the salvation of God. Well, verse 15, the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. Don't keep on coming to me. Just tell the children of Israel, hey, go forward. Trust in God. Then look at verse 19. And the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. Think of that. Think of that verse. They're fleeing Egypt. Who is leading them out of Egypt? Moses is certainly there. Aaron is there. But who is, who is actually leading them? God. And they get to the sea. They get to this huge body of water, which ultimately will be divided, and it will become dry land, and they'll walk through it. But before that happens, they get to this large body of water, <clears throat> and on their tails is this huge, immense, powerful Egyptian army. So what does God do? He leaves the front, and he goes to the back to protect the children of Israel. Do you think that <clears throat> at, at this point, you know, prior to this, they were afraid. Because all they could see behind them 
was whom? The Egyptians. When they turned around and looked, did they see God? No. So God then shifted from the front to the back. And then when they turned around, what did they see? Which was God. And they could see God's protection for them. Verse 20. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave by, uh, light by night to these, so that the one came not near the other all the night. I think they slept pretty soundly. I would have. Nothing to fear. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea, even all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, his horsemen. They followed, thinking that they could go through too. But then the Lord says, verse 26, unto Moses, Stretch out thine hand over the sea, that the waters may come again upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, upon their horsemen. And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it. And the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea, and the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, all the host of Pharaoh <coughs> that came into the sea after them, and there remained not so much as one of them. But the children of Israel walked upon dry land. That, that, that had to be amazing. They walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on the right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashores. They turned around and looked. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. They saw what God did. In the same type of way, God is in the front of us and God is in the back of us. He's got us covered. Whichever direction we're going, he's there. We have nothing to fear. It doesn't mean we won't become a martyr for our faith. It doesn't mean we're not going to have trials in our life. We're promised trials in our life. But he will never leave us or forsake us if we know him. Faith ultimately embraces two aspects. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The basis of faith, the word of God. The evidence of faith, the action of our lives to what God's word says. The Israelites heard the promise in the Passover command of Exodus 12. They experienced God's deliverance when they applied the blood when they obeyed. In the midst of their fear, <clears throat> they obeyed the word of God, the command of Moses, and were saved from the armies of Pharaoh. When we accept the gospel, I quoted this earlier, we are transformed. And when we walk with God in our life dearly, daily, we don't have to worry about anything. Matthew this is, comes from Matthew chapter 6. Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? 
Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things to the Gentiles, the heathen, the unsaved, seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Faith drives out fear. Don't let it be part of your life. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He will meet all your needs. But you've got to look to him. You've got to see him in the front, as the Israelites did. But then when you turn around and see the enemy, you don't see the enemy, you see the Lord. By faith, who's there for you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he'll meet all your needs. And we all have stories. <clears throat> this is a very favorite verse of mine, Exodus, Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be added. And in the first year of my uh, walk with the Lord, after I was saved, I was working with a small ministry in southern Florida. Uh, I, I gave up everything. I forsook the world. I forsook my business. I sold everything. I didn't have a dime or two dimes to rub together. Um, I had car payments. I had apartment payments. I had utility bills to pay and that type of thing. <clears throat> and the first time that God provided, as a whole long story, some of you have heard it, um, I needed, I, I had set it up, I was at this point sharing an apartment with a fellow employee. <clears throat> he worked with me at, uh, remember old Wolco? department store he was a manager I was a manager and so we shared a apartment and 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 so I, and, and John didn't like to clean and, and and I said John I'll do all the cleaning if you cut my rent down uh, to twenty dollars this is oh, going back to the 1970s so understand twenty dollars every two weeks he thought that was a great deal but I didn't have twenty dollars and he called the manager, and I told the manager, I'm not going anywhere until God wants me out of here. And, and, and he said, well, he says, I may call the police. I said, well, you can call them the Army. Well, I literally told him that. You call the Marines. I'm not leaving if God doesn't want me to leave. And he says, well, next time I come in, I'm not coming with the Marines. I'm coming with the police, though. I said, fine. Because John, had, the department was in John's name. So I, I prayed a Thursday, Lord, I, I prayed, Lord, I need $20 for rent. I don't know where it's going to come from. I'm doing everything that I think I need to do. I'm, I'm seeking first the kingdom of God and your righteousness. I don't know what I'm not doing that I should be doing or, or what I'm doing that I shouldn't be doing. I think I'm doing everything that I should do, seeking your righteousness and your kingdom. Lord, all I want is $20 to pay rent. That night I picked up a couple of hitchhikers, a man, a young Young man and young woman hitchhiking and to witness to him. I don't recommend that necessarily today. Even back then, but I was crazy. Uh, Cheryl didn't, I wasn't married at the time. And, I, and, and he said, boy, the, 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 you're talking just like some people who are staying uh, at, the, at the home that, that, that my house that I'm staying with. He said, can you drop my girlfriend off and drop me off at home? I said, sure. And I went, so why don't you come in and meet these people? And I came in and we, and I met him. We talked till about three or four, this is a Saturday night. We talked till about three or, and on Thursday night, I prayed Matthew 6.33. And, and, and we, about three in the morning, I got up to leave from, from this conversation we'd been talking 
And I was a neophyte. I was just, uh, I was wet behind the ears. I was saved maybe two weeks, three weeks. But I had come across Matthew 6.33. And before I left, the woman said, it was a hus husband and wife, not the guy I'd picked up, said, just a second, God wants me to give you something. I don't know. Well, you know. Who am I to say no to that? So she went into her bedroom. She came out with a handful of bills, and, and she gave them to me. And I said, well, thank you. Praise the Lord. I just stuck them in my pocket. <coughs> Drove home. About 3.30 or so, I got to the apartment. And uh, I walked in, and I, and I pulled the bills. It was two tens. $20. So the next night, I, I gave it to John and said, here, John, this is from God. That's what I said. And he said, what did he do, rain it down from heaven? I said, just about. <laughs> and God did that type of thing, sometimes for hundreds of dollars for the next year. I didn't earn one. <coughs> well, I, I, somebody talked me into getting a job for two days, for getting a job. Hey, you got to work. I, it wasn't that I wasn't working. I was working. just wasn't getting paid. Uh, I said, you need to get a job where you get paid. And I did for two days, and I quit. I said, this is not what God wants me to do. So I worked for two days in a year where I got paid. Um, but time after time after time, I'd pray Matthew 6.33, and God would provide. Oftentimes to the penny, hundreds of dollars that I could pay bills. Now, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't living the life of a king, Bob. Um, and I was scrapping sometimes to get those Coke bottles that I could redeem for a nickel that I could buy a, another soda or whatever. But God provided. I had no fear. I knew God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He'll meet all those needs. Don't let fear control you. Whatever the circumstance. Don't be afraid about what's going to happen to Melissa. God's in control. Don't be afraid what's going to happen to your spouse. God's control. Don't be afraid about your unemployment. God's in control. Fear, what was that first quote at the very beginning? I, I, I like that. That's why I put it down here. Fear is to Satan <coughs> what faith is to God. Faith does God's work. Fear does Satan's work. We need to be men and women of faith. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for the word of God. For, for it and through it comes uh, faith. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. And Lord, as, as we know you and walk with you and obey the word of God, <clears throat> it, it, it perfect love. We, we love you. You are our Father. You are here today and tomorrow. You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. There's nothing to fear. Perfect love, complete love, mature love casts out all fear. Help us to love you more than fear will flee. Help us to be men and women of faith. Like Moses, to your glory. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Shalom. This is Mark Robinson, Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries, thanking you for listening to our Bible study. 
These Jewish Awareness Podcasts are a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. If you have questions about the study that you just listened to, or would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org, email us at office at jewishawareness.org, or call us at 919-275-4477. Shalom.